What is going on, ev- on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brendan here with you guys again. Dama will not be joining us on the program tonight, but I do have a very special guest, Mr. Quentin Mayo. Quentin, how's it going, partner? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, of course, Quentin's going to be coming on here and talking some uh, some Wizards basketball. We're going to talk about free agency, uh, maybe a little bit of a season preview. So let's just get right into it. We're not going to waste time with this. Um, the, let's talk about the moves that the Wizards made at free agency. The first move that they made was they signed forward Anthony Gill, um, who played overseas. And I believe, Quentin, are they using uh, the biennial exception on him, or at least part of it, I guess, to cover these two years? Is that what it is? I do believe so, and I'm still waiting to get word on the specifics of all those, like, non-headlining, you know, uh, acquisitions. But, yes, we could assume that right now. Okay, and so what do you think the plan was with that? Because a lot of people, I mean, everyone talks about this has got to be – the year that the Wizards perform, I mean, you're talking about unless you want to blow it up. I mean, they got to get to at least the second round, in my opinion. Um, and so a lot of people were kind of shocked and a little bit frustrated, to put it nicely, when the first free agent that they signed was a guy who hasn't even really played an NBA game, I don't think, and has been playing ball overseas. But uh, you look at his highlights and you look at his numbers and um, they're pretty solid. So, I mean, overall, what did you think about this signing? Uh, I was as shocked as everybody else. I mean. Uh... This is an offseason, like you said, you already kind of prefaced it. They are extremely all in on this year being the year. This is a make or break year. You also got, I mean, Bradley Bill is one of the hottest commodities in the NBA. You want to be all in and win now and be not just a fringe playoff team, but a uh, solidified competitor when it comes to postseason playing. Your first signing is Anthony Gill. You know, so it runs some people the wrong way. But I think the bigger message is, you know, from Tommy Shepard is, and Ted Leonsis is, well, for one, Ted is going to let Tommy run this thing. I mean, he's he's got, had an extremely hands-off approach for the most part. Tommy's going to be able to curate this and, and construct this the way he wants to. And he wants high-character guys that can do multiple things well and that um, and that work hard. And just look at every person that they've brought in. You have no guys that are maybe flashy but have some off-the-court issues or, you know, maybe have a high ceiling but just, you know, are inconsistent. These are all just extremely solid all around guys, whether that ceiling is high or not, every, all the acquisitions have a pretty similar, um, uh, I guess, vibe to them. Yeah. And so with addressing the forward position, that's one of the two main spots that fans felt needed to be addressed overall. One was the center spot, which we're going to get to a little bit, but I want to kind of stick with the forwards here for a second. And I think the signing of Anthony Gill, it, it, it it stems from a couple different things. So for me personally, I know a lot of people wanted to get more of a three, but you just drafted Denny Avdia number nine overall, and you really don't want to, uh, you know, stunt his growth and development. And then you're also bringing back Troy Brown. And so I guess the thought process is there is okay. Well then maybe you, you package Troy Brown with maybe a guy like Thomas Bryan or another player and, and you try and get, more of a proven wing in return that can maybe go into that starting lineup and help them win now. Uh, what is your stance on that? I mean, do you think that's something that they ever really would have looked into? Or do you think that based off what we saw from Troy last year um, in the bubble, especially, and then with drafting Denny, that they really just didn't feel like it was that big of a necessity to fill it? Yes, it, it just was a bit surprising to see that they didn't, 
like to make a move like that. But they, I one thing I see from Tommy is that they definitely feel like they addressed their weaknesses. Whether season may have signified that they were going to make a bigger splash than they did. Comments like "swing for the fences" and we're looking to add established veteran presences to finish games. When you hear those things and you see a glaring hole at the center position or the forward position, you assume that they're going to try to go after some of the more marquee free agents, not the guys that are out of their, their, their range, but you know, guys that they're, that are affordable. And also with the trade ships that you do have in the uh, Thomas Bryan, who's starting to prove himself as a stretch five or four and also Troy Brown, who's promising. So to see them make these moves that they have made with Gill and, I mean, some other two-way guys and, and Robin Lopez and Raul Neto, uh, it, it fits what Tommy Shepard and co think needs to be done. And I think that's the bigger takeaway for all Wishes fans on that on that one. Yeah, so another thing that, and I know we talked about Gil, and I believe he shot 44% from behind the arc, but one of the reasons people, or one of the things people wanted to see with an upgrade at the three is they wanted to see a three-point shooter. And this is, and some people are kind of confused with the Denny pick, and I wasn't personally. I was, I don't care what we're doing, and I know we talk about competing, and you need to get pieces to compete now, but when you're talking about the draft, you need to take the best player available, and that's exactly what they did, so I'm not faulting them for that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, when you talk about the small forward or the three or the wing, whatever you want to call it, they don't really have a shooter out there. So, and when you talk about having guys that are going to create or, you know, gain a lot of attention in Wall and Beal, you need to be able to hit those corner threes, those wing threes. And right now, it really seems like the only person uh, that's, or the only two people that are going to be able to do that on a consistent basis are Bertans and then, you know, maybe Jerome Robinson. So, um, and I know they brought Garrison Matthews back, but he's going to be on a two-way deal again. So where, I mean, do you think it's just going to kind of be a free-for-all like it was last year, like just free-flowing and just kind of three-point shots all over the place and you better hope that you hit them? Or, I mean, how do you think the offensive game is going to change with uh, Wall coming back into the mix? Well, one thing I, I will definitely say is that I think while there may have been a hole at the three that we all see, I think... Uh, Tommy in that front office and, and and Scott Brooks, they're confident in the, their ability to score the ball. I mean, last year they had mm-hmm. no problems, you know, filling it up and getting offensive um, pushes from a number of guys, even guys like Ish Smith that aren't yeah. known to be career, you know, scorers stepped up in a major way in that offense and one of the best scoring offenses in the NBA last year. I think defense was the biggest issue they had for them. So, yeah, they, I think if they, and I'll try to take what I've heard and what I've talked to Tommy about of, you know, getting Wall back with an improved jump shot on top of Bradley Bill already being a third and a half point per game guy, re-signing Dobby's Bertans, who was shooting over eight attempts from behind the arc and hitting almost 40 to 45 percent of those from deep. And then incorporating that with the now stretch big with Thomas Bryant, also a, a stretch big capable Robin Lopez. I think they think that they will be able to score. I don't think that three-point or lack of a wing that is a knockdown shooter is what is on their mind right now. I think they were just more focused on addressing the defensive side, which I do think they still are uh, underwhelming in in that regard um, on that side of the ball. But I think maybe fans have put more of a precedence on that three that can stretch the floor and score um, opposed to how they feel about their offense already that, man, we can score the ball. We just got to stop some people. So I, I definitely understand 
where everybody is coming from on that end. And I also to the Denny pick, you know, I, anybody tells you that they knew much about Denny heading into this draft is a liar because nope, for, for one, he was just a name that you might've seen a couple highlights and you might've heard a couple people compare him to Luca. And that was it because he was projected to go so high. So the more time we have to break down his film and, and see who he is and, and watch him in Atlanta work out and watch him at Tel Aviv, get some shots up before one of the national games. It's just, I, you start to love him more and see that he has the promise. So I definitely think he can be the best available. And like we've talked about on Twitter, his his form and his confidence and the step back jumpers and things of that nature, I think that will translate to the NBA. Uh, mm -hmm. I just can't imagine seeing a guy that, that shoots the way he does in, in the form and the fluidity and not being able to at some point have that translate to on-court performance in the NBA. He did make a good point in one of the interviews he did with Mike Schmitz on uh, on YouTube via ESPN and saying, you know, I've been growing all my life. I haven't stopped growing. My limbs continue to get longer. My hands get bigger every three months. It's it's hard to to nail down a solid jumper when you can't figure out what your body is going to be like. Like it's it's hard to do that. You got to continue to adjust your your form and things of that nature. So I think once he slows down a little bit in his his uh, his growth spurt, his puberty, he's still a kid. Uh, that he will be able to settle into a consistent jump shot. But I think the scoring aspect is 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 all over the floor, especially with the way Thomas Bryant was playing in the bubble. And I don't yeah. think that's the I don't think that's one of their worries at all. I think they still need to get better on defense. And if you want to look at it from a positive light, Robin Lopez, who will be what 33 in a couple weeks, he will definitely bring some some protection, some rim protection off the bench. He's probably the best bench big that you've had um, in a very long time. I mean, he's an upgrade from Yamahimi, that's for sure. Also over Andres Pesesniks, and uh, he's better than Mo Wagner. And those are all indisputable facts. So I think if he can continue to groom Thomas Bryant in practice, that will be interesting to watch. But you still got to have some other moves to to stop them. And, I, and while they did address some defensive woes and they don't have an Isaiah Thomas on defense anymore, um, there's still a little ways to go. And so Tommy talked about this as well. Then I, I guess this more ties into Denny and whoever else is going to be playing a three spot for us this year. But um, Tommy said himself, you know, you can't just put the blame on Bryant because everyone last year, and I said this too, at times – it's a little frustrating, but overall, I mean, if you watch the game, you know how ball works. People get to the paint somehow. They get to Bryant to score somehow because they go by their guy or there's lapses on the perimeter or whatever. And I thought that was more of a necessity that needed to be addressed um, over Thomas Bryant and the paint because that's not fair to him. You know, when guys go by you without much of a contest, you can't expect Bryant to, to just jump around all the time and be yeah. the Kembe Mutombo. It's just not going to happen. Put him in a tough position, yeah. Yeah, and I know sometimes he is out of position, and, and you know, he's not the most laterally quick fella. I mean, we know that. Um, but I definitely think he's still a capable starting center. And before we touch on that center position, I just want to quickly get your thoughts on Bertans. Um, I thought he was the guy that they absolutely had to bring back. I love the number that they brought him back at. Maybe not a five-year deal. I was hoping maybe a three-year deal just because I know mm -hmm. that'll be around when he turns 30. But I'm certainly not opposed to the five. If if they think he can contribute that long, then, you know, so be it. But they had to bring him back. But, um, I mean, what was the feeling on him inside the building? Um, and then what is your take on him as well? They were going to get that deal done 
Somehow, I mean that that was all in. And imagine how the fan base goes crazy if you don't resign Davies and you let him walk. Not only do you lose a impeccable shooter, especially at his size, but you had multiple first round uh, offers during the trade deadline last year. So to lose him and lose possibly um, first round capital, it's 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 franchise suicide in a certain extent. To at least for a little bit, but. Um, that deal done with Davis. Now, talking to some sources around the league, he was looking to get that $18 million range. So the fact that they could just extend it to five years and give him a lower number of 16 with the with his uh, annual salary increasing just about every single year was genius work by that front office in terms of how to construct the contract um, with the ETO in the in the last year. So I think um, I think it was a huge win for them and. I was saying this earlier today is, you know, last year, Davies, I mean, the game plan against the Wizards was stop Brad, you win the game. And maybe after 15 games, it was like, okay, this, this Bertans guy is freaking incredible. Now we have to stop him as well. And knowing that you only have to stop two guys for real is, is still an easy task for most NBA teams to where you saw in Charlotte, they were face guarding Davies before you even cross half court. So now when you get a guy like John, five-time All-Star, who can get a double-double in his sleep, now you have to – they don't have to work so hard for buckets. Like, just imagine an, a better auto porter, especially from shooting, if Davies can just be set already and not have to take 40-foot three-pointers because the defense is playing him so tight. If John is doing what he's what he usually does or is even in the shell of himself – that is still so good. And like, like Dobby said, that's still so good for his, his long range success in this league. And uh, I, I just, it's a really good move from Tommy and them to get him back. I think the numbers were genius. The contract, the way it was manufactured was incredible. And they really believe in him. And John believes in him, even though he hasn't gotten to play with him yet. He's seen him, you know, knock down hundreds and thousands of jumpers in that practice facility. Brad has played with him. He knows what he's capable of. So we'll see. And so, the plan for him still, I mean, and you may not know, but is the plan for him still to come off the bench, or do you think maybe there's a chance that he'll start now? Because I know some fans are calling for him to start because of not only his performance, but because of the money he makes. But I'm just not sure for balancing out, like, talent-wise, I'm not sure it makes sense to start him. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I was always an advocate of, like, dog, if you're getting paid 16, 17, 18 mil, you should be a starter, period. But I think what they have seen is that, you know, as long as he does play starter minutes, does it really matter if he's out there getting called in the starting lineup? Like if he right. comes in at the second unit and still ends up playing 35 minutes a game, he played like a starter. So as long as he's closing games, that's what's most important. Um, but I can't imagine. I could imagine. But I, I think what has worked for them recently is him coming off the bench and uh, still getting those 30, 35 minutes in per game. So I think they'll still do that. But it, it will be interesting to see what they do with the three position. Will they go Bonga to start the season, or will they go Denny, or will they go Troy? If I had to rank them, I would probably go Bonga, Denny, then Troy, uh, just because of what everybody brings um, to that to the table. But you know, they still have to go through camp and preseason. We'll see how that works out. But yeah. Okay, and then um, do you happen to know what a contingency plan might have looked like if, if they weren't able to get Bertans? I mean, do you think it would have went to a sign-and-trade scenario? Do you think they had another name in mind that they just would have signed outright? Because I know Wizards fans really like Jeremy Grant, but eh, and I'm not but he made $20 million, and the Wizards weren't going to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing about Gaunt, um, I, that that Jeremy Grant number of 20 is is so large, but who knows if he doesn't take a hometown discount um, uh, if they do have that cap space that they would have gained if they did move on for Davies. I'm not saying that as a report or anything, but I'm just saying, like, you know, there was at one point mutual interest from both sides. So, um, and the guys from the area, like that's, that's just a natural thing to do. Um, but as far as targets that they might've targeted moving forward, not any specific names that I've, that I'm aware of. I think they were very adamant about the first move they made. Being, hey, let's lock up Dobby's going forward. And the fact that I think they caught, um, not caught Dobby's camp by surprise, but the fact that they could come up with something that was, acceptable to all parties involved however maybe tying up their money for the next five years instead of three or four is um is is something that both sides could just be like you know what that's that's fire like let's let's move forward with that that's cool so yeah i i do know that a lot like western conference competitors were intrigued in signing trades i do know that eastern conference everybody was calling for a sign and trade possibility for Dobbies. And then you already have the obvious names of uh, Atlanta, Charlotte, New York, those guys that were just nipping at the bit, the bud waiting for Washington to screw up that deal so they could just go ahead and throw buckets of cash at them and move forward. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all certainly glad that he's back and is going to be a part of the Wizards for hopefully um, five years and hopefully some success along with it. L- let's move to the center spot really quick. So... We knew that Thomas Bryant was going to be back on this roster, I think, especially after he wasn't traded so early in the process. I figured if they were going to move him, it would have been earlier on, so they could have had uh, more of an idea of how to build their roster uh, through the draft and free agency and that nature. But they did make one sign there. They brought in Robin Lopez, like you said. Uh, I'm not so frustrated with the signing as I am, I guess, with the money, but I tried to put some perspective into it after the signing. The center market was drying up. There wasn't much left. Um, And for a guy who, again, like you said, can also stretch the floor, um, I don't think it's the worst signing out there that that they could have made. I mean, I'm totally fine with it. Um, Like some interior defense, he can shoot the mid-range, can shoot the three. He's a smart player. He He has a nice little crafty game in the paint. He can bring you that hook shot. Uh, kind of like maybe not like Seraphin, but um, th- they're both definitely um, good at hook shots and uh, you know being crafty in the paint, like I just said. But um, what was your take on the Lopez signing? And just um, I-, I guess, and then off that, how did you feel about Tommy just coming out and saying that Thomas was the starter? Um, I'll start with the the Lopez signing. I I I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I mean, and it just once you understand. At the end of the day, who Tommy Shepard is and what he looks for, then you will understand every single move they've made this offseason. He is all about eliminating the noise, whether it's the trade rumors, whether it's the, you know, who we're bringing in to do what, the the, uh, the stamp of approval he gave to Thomas Bryant. He's all about being very, hey, we got a good culture. We got a good team. Nobody's going to kill us off the floor. Let's just focus. Let's be let's be good humans, have high character, and also be able to produce. So then you look at the signing of Robin Lopez, a guy who is an established vet in this league. He's been in the league for 12 years. He's He can play his role. He can 
He plays hard, and uh, you heard Tommy say he could play that Nene role, hopefully, and he's had success, and that is just the most like low-risk move that you can make and also get some solidified production from him from a bench standpoint. Um, other guys like a Willie Cully Stein or a DeMarcus Cousins or a Nerlens Noel – um, it's just it's just stuff that comes with them, presumably, of maybe off-court activities or or maybe an attitude or maybe not a willingness to obey, you know, um, a coach's order or things of that nature. Not that it's true, but there's a stigma surrounding some players. And that's not what the, the Tommy Shepard and Ted Leos are looking to do right now. They're looking to bring in some guys that can help immediately and that are going to alleviate all the stress that may come in other avenues from players that may be disgruntled or things of that nature. I think Robin Lopez is a good signing. I like it. Uh, he's a great guy. It's a great, if you ever got a chance to talk to him or hear him speak, he's amazing, extremely entertaining, but he also does play hard. And he also has worked in some three point shooting and some, some, ex, some range to his game. So that's all I can say to Wizards fans. If you just look who Tommy is, what he has said, and then the moves he's made, a lot of the high risk moves that, Wizards fans would probably want the team to make aren't necessarily the ones that fit into the framework of what he's looking to do here. And in terms of um, what was the second part of your, Oh, the endorsement of Thomas Bryant. That's, that's just another one. That's, that's who Tommy is. Um, if, if he can put a stamp on a guy and say, look, you're our guy. This is what we want from you. This is what we expect from you. Now go out there and perform. You have our full support. If you can eliminate that doubt of having somebody take your spot. I mean, he told every free agent, apparently, that this is Thomas Bryant's job. If you can eliminate that doubt and allow a guy to know that he's the man going into the season, a shortened season with three preseason games and a quick turnaround to a 72-game season, it's it's exactly what you need. It's exactly what you need. So, I like Thomas Bryant a lot. Just talked to him yesterday on Thanksgiving. He's supposed to be saving me a plate, but he's worked really hard. And when he before he even got his deal, he's been a gym rat. But unfortunately, injuries hampered, you know, how his season turned out. But he did redeem himself, had a strong bubble. And now he's turning around to um, to start this year. And I think he can definitely benefit from a guy like Robin Lopez, especially on the defensive end. But also, like you said, that takes commitment from the perimeter. And that's what I wanted to talk about really quickly is that when you look at the defensive woes that they experienced last year, it's a lot of mentality and attitude. Like if mm -hmm. you know Isaiah Thomas is going to get blown by nine times out of 10, you're at some point, you're just going to be so annoyed with the fact that you have to keep rotating over for IT or, or and things of that nature. Your defense is supposed to move on a string. Everybody's supposed to be able to replace and help out. But after the first five games, if you're saying that IC can't play defense and doesn't care to do that, and that throws off everybody's feng shui, and even Brad, so it's like nobody is really absolved from playing good perimeter defense, but it starts at the perimeter. If you can get guys that play good perimeter defense and eliminate the 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 pressure it puts on a big man to be a, an elite <laughs> paint anchor that people are expecting from Thomas Bryant, it helps everybody out. So. Uh, it definitely starts from a perimeter attitude. And that's what I'm going to be looking at from John specifically this season is like, look, John, I know you're spectacular. I know you can score. I know you can dribble past anybody. You can dunk on anybody. That's all fine and good. But when you're playing on your heels, when you've got De'Aaron Fox running at you, when you've got, you know, some of these young guys that may be faster than 
than John is now. Ish Smith is probably faster than John is at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. You got to be able to play defense, and it's going to suck if you can't stop. Like you said, if you can't stop somebody at the first level, by the time they get to the third level and Thomas Bryant has to leave his man, yeah, there are spectacular guys that can do that on a nightly basis, and that's why they are the Rudy Gobert's of the world and can get recognized for that. But not every big has the ability to do that every single possession. You got to help your big guys out. Right. And this is my thing. Everyone's like, oh, Thomas Bryant can't protect the rim. He's not a good defender. Guys, that's not his game. You know, you have to look at the players that you want to move forward with, and you have to put pieces around them to complement. So everybody, everybody can do something unique that they bring to the table. Because I'll tell you what, how many elite rim protectors, you know, around the league that have the offensive game that Thomas Bryant has? I'll tell you, like maybe, like maybe one, maybe one, uh, Embiid. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. Usually, it's it's one side or the other. Either the guy can score at a high level but can't stop a lick, uh, a lick of defense, or you got a guy like Rudy Gobert who is one of the, if not the best, paint defender in the league, but sucks at everything else. Like it's 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 it's, yeah. or he can catch lobs. That's cool too. But other than that, like you got your Clint Capellas of the world. Like it's hard to get a guy at that size that can do both. And what? would you rather have? And I think with this Robin Lopez move, you know that he is what we would like Thomas Bryant to evolve into. And if you look at Robin's game, he kind of took a reverse Thomas Bryant approach. He was the guy that couldn't really score and couldn't really, you know, do much on that side of the ball and progressed into an offensive minded, more of an offensive minded big um, later on in his career. But I mean, this is a guy who was averaging, what, five points through his first five years in the league. Now this guy has – and didn't take a three-pointer, his maybe one three-pointer in his first five years in the league. Now he can knock down the the the, the long-range jumper, the long two. He can do what you need, and he's also a defensive anchor. So that's what they're going to look from Thomas Bryant to, to just learn those little nuances of being a big that can protect the rim. But it all comes down to, one, coaching, and two – want to, you know, belief that you can and belief in that your teammates and your coach are going to put you in a good position to play good defense. And three, execution and practice. And and if you can do that, you're going to be a great player. But Thomas has the offensive side down. His ceiling on offense is incredible. And the way he shoots it with confidence, but he's going to have to get better on defense, but they have to help him out. And so to close out this free agency part here, uh, we know that they signed Neto. I, I think it's good point guard depth, especially if Cassius um, becomes a two-way player along with Garrison Matthews. But And then you, I know they pushed back um, past the Snakes' uh, deadline for the, the fully guaranteed nonsense. I think that that's February 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but assuming that they let him go earlier on in the process, I guess. And then Winston does become that two-way player. They have a roster spot to work with, I think. Do you anticipate them doing anything else at this point, or do you think that they're kind of done? I don't. And this and this is the thing. This is a season like no other. So we have to be mindful of the time period that we're working on. The moratorium was lifted, what, last week? Like, this, this is not – when was the draft? Or maybe it was two weeks ago. But this is all still a very fresh and new – period to acquire talent mm-hmm. to trade for talent to work through all these humps and hurdles of of building a roster so don't be surprised if if we get five six seven eight ten games to the season and you're still seeing 
pretty substantial moves from not just the Wizards, but a lot of teams in this league. Like, this is just such a different time that we're going into um, with the pandemic and with all these new rules and legislations that will that have already taken a toll on how front offices operate. So, yeah, they would have that roster spot. I would not be surprised in the slightest if they made moves or two. I wouldn't be surprised they made a trade soon. Like, this is this is not it. This is not all, I don't believe. I think they're always looking to get uh, for ways to improve their roster. However, it, there is something to be said about heading into camp with the guys you know you're going to rock out with for the entire season. Did Thomas, I mean, did Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonsis and Scott Brooks put that confidence into the roster that they currently have right now to say these are these are who we're going to rock out with this year? You don't have to worry about all the chatter. Let's go out there. Let's let's do this together. I'm not sure if that has happened, but he has given a lot of confidence in public um, indictments of uh, guys that he feels can contribute this season. So. Don't be surprised, however, if moves are still being made well into the first quarter of the season. Yeah, and then, so really quick, just for your roster, I'm going to give my take, and then I'll have you give yours. If Because I know Scott likes to roll with 10. He likes to have his 10-man rotation, but I really feel like they're going to roll with 11 this year. And, and I think for the reason that you were saying earlier, because small forward, you have Denny, you have Troy, and you have Isak. All three at this point, I think, are worthy of minutes. And I know that Bonga's probably the... I don't know how to say this correctly. I, I want to say the least talented of the three. I'm not sure if that's entirely correct, but um, all three of them deserve minutes, especially after the way Troy... And I know Isak had rough moments in the bubble, but he also had some some really great ones. Um he did. So, I mean, if if I'm constructing constructing my depth chart today... I'm rolling with Wall, Beal, Denny, Rui, and Thomas as my five. And then the backups being Ish, Jerome, uh, Troy, Davis, and Robin. And then I try to sprinkle in Bonga in there. Um, I mean, do you think that that's fair? Uh, what do you think right now? I think that's extremely fair. I do think they're higher on Bonga than a lot of fans out there. Like, and yeah. it, and it's it's kind of obvious like this is a guy Bonga started last year opening night that was a surprise to all of us yeah. so do not be surprised if Bonga starts at the three again this year I would love to just see this team say you know what F it Denny you're the starting three like let's go rock out you're the best player we saw on the board we were so ecstatic that you dropped to nine we had so much confidence and, and so much film in you that you're going to be a star in this league like let's go ahead and roll it out John Brad Denny, Rui, and TB, and see what happens with that starting five. And I, and we talk about swinging for the fences. That might be what Tommy Shepard was talking about as well. Who knows if that if they don't just start a guy like Denny, who they feel as though is is NBA ready right now. I talked to a couple mm -hmm. agents that have a very different sentiment than most fans did, especially after the selection of what Denny can be. I had mm -hmm. one agent tell me that, and and these are not agents that have any stock invested into how good he is. Or anything. These this is totally unbiased opinions from these guys. One agent told me that Denny was the next a better version of Garan Dragic. One agent also told me that he can help this team immediately. He's easily first team all rookie and oh, should yeah. be in consideration for rookie of the year. And th and these are agents ranging from um representing international talent as well as agents representing domestic local talent and within the states and they all know not a bad word about him from anybody 
So that that should give fans some sort of relief right there is, you know, these guys who get paid a lot of money to do what they do and represent these players, they they, they look at other guys and other prospects that they don't represent. And the fact that most agents that I've, sp- I've spoken to have, you know, given him this this stamp of approval and, and gloated about how good of a draft Washington, you know, came up with, that is at least something to to hang your hat on as to, okay, well, we might not know everything about him, but a lot of highly paid, intelligent people think highly of him. So the, the 11 you gave, you know, I'm, I'm have nothing against that. I think that that's pretty spot on. Um, and you did have Bonga as your last one. I, like I said, I, I they love Bonga. They love Isak Bong. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of the noise, he has done what he, uh, obviously done what he's supposed to do as a guy. I think even Scott Brooks said this one point last year. He said he's not going to complain about not shooting enough or not getting enough playing time or not getting enough on offense. He's just going to go out there and play basketball and do what he does best, which is play defense, even though he was an extremely great defender that a lot of people like to talk about him as. But he's one that's willing to do so and tries very hard on that end for the most part. So I think they really like him. Yeah. And then so the last thing I want to get your take on before we get into John is the one piece that's kind of we haven't mentioned yet is Rui. Um, And a lot of people are looking at him this year and they're going to be like, well, I mean, he's going to have to be the third scorer. But when you have Thomas Bryant coming off the bubble performances that he had and you bring him back, Bertans, he's surely going to need the ball. And then you have Rui. I mean, I would assume that the third score is just going to kind of be by committee or, or maybe it's all just going to or maybe it's just going to be Brad and the rest of it's going to be by committee. But I mean, Rui's kind of getting lost in all this. So, um, I mean, and especially if they start Denny and Rui from day one. And I, and I know that we talked about the possibility of starting Bonga. And to be honest, that that's probably the safe guess as to what they're going to do. But um, I know that they talk about Rui improving his jumper, but say they start like Denny and Rui. The perimeter jump shooting from there isn't – it's not great. Um, so, I mean, just what's your whole take on how Rui's going to fit into all this this year? And, I mean, he – I know he didn't have the best bubble, but, I mean, he, overall last year, he looked very, very good. I was very pleased with him. And, um, I mean, that pick by Tommy Shepard is just money. But let me get your um, take on Rui. And- it's it's going to be rough. <laughs> Rui also has not played with John Wall. <laughs> and and playing with yeah, John Wall is yeah. not for the faint of heart. I will tell you that it's not going to be. And this is what, this is my biggest issue with Rui last year is a lot of getting the ball and becoming a black hole. Like the the the, the Dwight Howard um, at one point in his career, the Dwight Howard um, issue of I got the ball and I'm going to take my time and I'm going to look around and I'm going to put my back to the basket. Then I'm going to face up. And I'm going to dribble like you're not going to get all that time, Rui. If you, as soon as he gets the ball, you got a couple options. Can I shoot? Can I score from right here? Yes. All right. Shoot. No. Okay. I need to make a move or pass it back out because he's not going to have as many opportunities as he did last year. And that's going to be a huge change for everyone playing with Mr. Hildred. Like he, he's a killer and he wants the ball in his hands. So yes, he's going to feed you. You got to, the biggest thing is they're going to develop as off ball offensive threats more than they have to or did last year. It's, it's going to have to be more of what Troy Brown did well all season long, being at the right place at the right time. When you don't have the ball, you're moving, you're cutting, you're slashing, you're working through, you're setting off ball screens, just doing a lot off the ball to put yourself in a position to get that. A lot of times Rui got the ball, 
at the free throw line extended at the top at the beginning of offensive possessions. And I just don't see that happening with with everybody that's back this year and uh, has been signed no. or required. So Rui's going to have to learn quickly that, look, you got it should be a two second clock in your head. Can I do it? Can I score here? Yes or no? And get the ball out. And then also I was speaking to um, uh, Israel's Channel 13 about Denny Evdia yesterday or a couple days ago. And here's the thing that Denny's going to have to re- realize. You were the man overseas. You're a rookie now. Like I don't care how many views you got on TikTok and and how swaggy you are and how many you know endorsements you have. Just like Rui as well, you're still a rookie. You got to come in and and be a compliment to guys like Wall and Bill who have stock in this game and have been here for a long time and are winners. So don't you can't get upset with your role or the lack thereof. You got to be. Um, accepting of the chances you do get, make the most of it. And the better you are at making the the most out of your few opportunities with these stars like John and Brad, the more responsibility will be placed on you as the season goes forward. Just compare it to like having a receiver and, and, a, and a new quarterback. If I can trust you with a, a few, like you get three targets on Sunday against the Giants, no shot at the Giants, but you get three targets <laughs> – Two and zero, buddy. Two and zero, buddy. <laughs> you, you get uh, you get you get three receptions on Sunday against the Giants, and you and you make the most out of them, and you break some tackles, and you finish the game with what fifty yards. Now in week four, I can be like, okay, I remember last time I gave him three, he caught them all and did what he's supposed to do. Now I can increase his his targets. So that's going to have to be the learning curve for Rui as well as Denny and a lot of these guys who have never played with two because playing with two is not easy. Not saying that it's bad. But it's not like you're you're going to get blessed if you if you are in the right place at the right time. But do not expect anything other than that, because he's a killer. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, he's going to cuss you out. That's just how he is. So one of the reasons I like to fit with Rui is because before that draft, we were like, okay, the Wizards, they need to find someone who can score in the half court. They just need to find someone who can get a bucket. And they did that. But in the regular season, when the game's constantly is going to be up and down, um, you know, it's going to be really fast paced. I think Denny translates more than Rui does because, like you said, Rui's a guy that likes to take his time. And I'm not saying he can't be a fast paced player because we've seen it. I mean, he, and he's actually an excellent finisher on the fast break, but or uh, but his game is definitely uh, more catered to in half court offense where you can take your time and and take efficient shots and stuff like that. Like, and again, I, I've said this a lot. And they're not comparable in terms of talent, at least right now. But but he reminds me a lot of Carmelo Anthony. He likes to get the ball. He likes to size up the defender, take his dribble or two, and either finish at the rim or he's going to put up a shot. Um, so I think that'll work in the playoffs when the game slows down. But, I mean, especially early on, again, he hasn't really played with John. I think that early on in the regular season, it's going to be important that fans don't get too frustrated with Rui. And we saw this with Thomas Bryant last year when – um, he wasn't getting the shots that he normally got. He started taking a, a lot of tough shots and then, and, cons- and um, you know, inefficient shots. And I think we could see the same thing with Rui early on in the season too. And I just don't want fans to get too discouraged with that. Yeah, but I think the bigger thing is is Rui not getting discouraged with that because he it's kind of equivalent to getting John Wall back is equivalent to like having a new uh, offensive coordinator. Like, it's just like, I got to get used to a new offense. Like, yes, it's, it's a Scott Brook run offense, but it's something about playing with Don that's just different. Now, with Rui, I remember last year at one point, specifically in our show, Wizards Outsiders, we talked about a stretch that he had where he struggled clearly. And it's just like, how does Rui avoid this slump? Or how does he get through this this rookie wall and all these things? 
So if he has the confidence in, you know, himself, that's going to take him further along than anything else within that organization that happens. So, yeah, fans definitely should be on their P's and Q's about, hey, not being too hard on the supporting cast, especially not early as they're trying to establish their their roles in the team. But also fans need to think about this. What is what's today's date? The 26th, the 27th dog camp starts next week. And the following it's so is insane. preseason. Like this, this is all a very, very fast paced thing. Denny just arrived. Denny departed for DC at 2 30 today. He's gonna have to isolate for a couple days. And by the time he's out of isolation, it's training camp. There's no summer league. There's no there's no nothing. And then your first preseason game, Denny's gonna have to get thrown out there in whatever magnitude against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. How the heck? Do you handle that as a rookie? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's hard. It's going to be a hard transition, and it's not going to be for the faint of heart and the weak, the weak, the weak players, because this is going to be a very fast turnaround against some very next level talent. You got to be able to fit in. If not, you're going to you're going to sink. You don't want to sink. You got to swim. Do you think that given the amount of regular season games in the shrunken preseason that we'll see a whole lot of wall and beal or do you think it's going to be a lot of like denny Rui, jerome robinson tom bryant like guys like that i i would i wouldn't be surprised if they handled it like uh i'm doing i'm using a lot of football analogies today maybe thanksgiving you know with the washington football team doing what they did to hey, dallas big a win. congrats thank you big thank win. you thank you uh we we blow out Dallas for fun around here. This is just not new to us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they went, you know, uh, staggered their their uh, their stars just to see because you're going to see a lot from them in camp that you don't see, like that we're not going to be privy to. Um, yeah, you know, just being on the outside, uh, so they can get a feel for how Wall and Beal will fit together. But as as we move forward. And hopefully my mic didn't just cut out just now. No, you're good. Okay. As we move forward, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me to see like, hey, first half, we're going to go heavy on the minutes with with John and Brad. We want to see what that starting unit can do. And then the second half of games, you know, just be very, very uh, conservative. I, I will be interested to see how all coaches, not just Scott Brooks and this Wizards team, but all coaches approach this preseason and this fast turnaround because, uh, yeah, it's going to be a doozy. And also – this is this is new to Wall. He's going to be on a minutes restriction this year. He's never heard minutes restriction in his life, and he's coming off of injury. Not going to play most of the back to backs. It's going to be hard for him to adjust. So it's this. This is what I will say: a year that's so important, like it is, and and they're kicking it to be uh, in terms of the long term success of this franchise and retaining Brad and all these things. Scott Brooks in a contract year, ladies and gentlemen, in a contract year, he has not signed an extension. He has so much on his plate and responsibility to getting these guys ready to go quickly. It's going to be so hard to incorporate John Wall back into an offense with Bradley Bill being the main emphasis of your scoring. You know what I'm saying? Like, And then also on top of that, incorporating Denny Evdia, who has never played with any of these guys, and Rui, who's going to have a new role. And, and it's just going to be yeah. a lot on Scott's plate. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be locked in to see how they handle this entire situation. Yeah, and, and I know that fans expect them to make the playoffs this year, but like you said, with all the changes and everything like that, I'm not just I'm not sure it's so simple as you you plug John Wall back in, and you add a talented yeah. number nine overall pick and you make the playoffs. I, I don't think it's a guarantee at all. I think that they'll finish somewhere between seventh and tenth for sure. Um, yeah. But I just 
again, with just everything like you said, I'm not – and with the limited number of games in preseason, there's no summer league. I mean, it, it's just – it's a disaster um, it's for a tough everyone. Ask. It's a tough yeah. ask, especially for a team like Washington where – and then it's only 72 games. So you really can't mess around. Like it's it's yeah. no time to start off slow. And and nope. then you got the trade rumors that are gonna come too. If you drop four of the first five, they've already been on this whole Bradley Bill needs to get out and traded and he needs to demand a trade. And and the same thing around John in a certain extent. You drop four of your first five, this national media is on you like hyenas. They're already on the wizards like hyenas, but it's even worse if you start off slow. But being realistic, as Wizards fans, look at this team and look at the, what they're up against. Most most successful teams you're going to see are, are those that have one a extremely a str- extremely good head coach and also a team that's already pretty much has that camaraderie of knowing each other and being able to play well. I think a lot of their faith is that they have had John and Brad play alongside each other for so long that maybe it'll just be like, you know, riding a bike again once John gets back out there. However, they are very two, they're two very different players now than they were back in 2016 and 2017. So this is just a huge ask in an Eastern conference that now features Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Oh, he's been in the East for a little bit, but just those guys on the same team. And then your bottom feeders like the Hawks, have had a plethora of great moves this offseason with Onyeka, Kongwin, Capella, and Rondo, and Bogdan. It's just these scrub teams, quote-unquote, that that are be your your ones that are fighting for eight seeds are now looking like formidable teams that could be as high as five. So it's it's no cakewalk in the East anymore. No. Um, and so let's get away from all this and let, let's talk about John. So just – from beginning to where we are now, with what you can tell the people, I mean, how did we get here? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> it's simple, but it's a great question. How did we get here? Um, I will say one thing. A lot of people, including you know, maybe management in the front office, they're prisoners of the moment. Uh, you're only as good as your recent endeavors. And if you, if you what have you done for me lately is the theme of just the world in general. John has been out for a very long time, and it has not been a quiet what will be 700 days since he touches a court for the first time in two years. Like, it won't be a quiet – it wasn't a quiet offseason, extended offseason for John. He's been in the news for multiple reasons, whether it's been the Brooklyn incident or whether it's been, you know, just little stuff that may have rubbed people the wrong way, like playing spades during a, a TV show, like just stuff like that. Um, and And as you move forward – and you see that you have a star like Brad who is furious in, you know, the lack of success and national recognition, but also banking on, you know, a backcourt mate to to be coming back full force and be focused. It's just a lot. It's just a lot of moving parts. And like Chris Miller, I mean, NBC Sports is finest. He reported that, you know, it's it video rubbed the front office the wrong way in terms of um the Brooklyn incident, it rubbed Ted Leonsis the wrong way. And was it right? Is he right to feel that way? Sure. But is John also right to be at a party as a grown man with, with a life? Absolutely. Now, now, what's the difference if it was documented or not and released to the public or not? That is the biggest problem. But the fact that it's a lot of instances that I guess you can name of, of John just b- being featured in the wrong light during a time where he can't play through it like if you have off the court uh 
instances or issues or whatever you want to call it, but you can get on the floor and and, and drop your 25 and, and 15 and help your team win. And people will be a little more open to what you what you're what you're doing with your free time. But if you haven't played in two years, you're making 40 million dollars a year. Your team is over under set at 28 and a half. It's just not a good look. And it's just it's just hard. So that uh I guess distrust from Ted to John on top of the fact that like Chris Mill reported again, M- Miller reported again that you know John heard these minutes restriction and back to back and all these notices as news to him. And it obviously it apparently wasn't discussed privately before it went public um from Tommy in the front office and the fact that they're building around Brad, which might be an obvious answer but still you know too he's 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 gonna have a chip on his shoulder he built this team this is deep this is his city he's told you that so it's just the dog that he is that everybody and then having his name in trade rumors for the first time is not something that he is used to as at one point the franchise cornerstone uh, it's just so many different angles and sides that go into you know what john has has built and done in this city and also how he's being just tossed around in trade conversations, he feels like it's disrespect. And uh, Ted Leones is in that the front office feels like John hasn't been the model citizen that they feel he should have been while being away. So while they did have their tiffs and they've had their conversations and disagreements, you know, their Tommy Shepard came out and said he's adamant about not trading him and that he's talked to him and that they're fine. Whether you believe that or not, it's up to you, but it's going to, it's all of this is going to be pushed to the forefront in just about T minus three weeks. So, I mean, buckle up because it's not going to I don't care if they're winning every single game or if they lose a lot of games. It will be entertaining for one reason or another. That is one thing I will guarantee. Yeah, um, for me personally, I didn't believe a word that Tommy Shepard said, and I don't blame him for saying what he did. I said after I was after I listened to that press conference, um, you know, I said I would be really irritated if you were to move John now because you just told everyone you weren't doing it. But from a trade value perspective and all that, like, again, I understand where, where he is coming from. Um, I know that he's been thrown around to a few different teams. I still think that the one that makes the most sense is just the Russell Westbrook swap. And whether you want to throw in a piece or two here or there, you know, whatever. But um what is your opinion on Russell Westbrook with this team? And then do you think that's something that Brad would endorse? I'm sure Scott Brooks wouldn't have a problem with it, but uh, do you think that would be a welcomed addition overall by the team? I, I know the fans are not having it, but I mean, just from a basketball perspective, do you think that that would be a good move or do you think it would just be kind of more of the same or maybe less efficient or, I mean, what's your take on that? Uh, I I do think, and I'm going to go back to this being a prisoner of the moment. It's it's to no one's fault that we have seen one thing these last two years, at least is that Russell Westbrook has played basketball period. He's played at a high level. He's an MVP. He's, he's done so many things in this league that it's have him established as one of the best players in the league. So if you were to swap John for, for Russ, would be intrigued as to how that works on the floor. I like Russell Westbrook as a player. Is he crazy? Heck yeah. Is he inefficient? Heck yeah. But he's going to do it at a thousand miles per hour. He's going to run through a wall and 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 he's going to give it your all every single night. Not saying John is not going to do that in, in any manner or form, but it would definitely be an intriguing piece to pair beside Bradley Bill. And, you know, Scott Brooks, you know, is extremely high on him. 
as well as uh know a lot of even Tommy Shepard came out and talked about how good of a player Russell Westbrook is when he had that interview with ESPN 980 so it's no secret that he's a good piece I think it could work as well but I also think John could work like it's, it's just not endorsing one doesn't put down the other I think both situations scenarios could work